welcome again. Happy Kids Day. If you celebrate, okay, we do this once a year. It's a really, really fun time. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be. Uh, we're preaching through Ephesians. That's kind of our practice here. We preach through books of the Bible. And so I guess I'll go ahead and tell you what we're talking about. So uh, I just imagine as I was driving in this morning, like somebody, you've been inviting your coworker for months and months. You're like, oh, they, they're coming. They said they're coming. I hope the pastor doesn't preach about money today. I'm not, but I am preaching about submission and headship in marriage. Okay. Uh, so amen. Amen's only today. So, uh, so men's and women's roles in marriage. So we'll be in, again, Ephesians 5. And I'm actually going to preach this group of verses this week and next week, okay, because there's so much here. And so this week, we're going to define terms. We'll really get into the heady ideas of what's involved and how it how our marriages reflect the Trinitarian relationship of God, all these things. And well, there'll be plenty of things to apply from today as well. And the next week, we'll really go heavy on application. And so look at today as like episode one of a three-week miniseries. Okay, so if I only tick you off today, come back next week, give me one more shot to see how else this looks, right? Okay, so I'm talking to three groups today. Married people, okay? Single with intent to be married people and single with no intent to be married people, okay? There's three groups. So this, so this sermon on marriage today is not just for married people. Right off the bat, just let me be clear that we think that a single person is a whole person at Redemption City, that you're not somehow pending in God's kingdom. That's not the case at all. In fact, Paul, who, who wrote Ephesians that we're looking at today, elsewhere, he said, man, I wish you were like I am. And he was talking about being unmarried. So actually, God's kingdom, it's highly elevated to be a single person. So, you know, like the idea of finding your other half is actually from Greek mythology. That's not a Christian idea. Okay, so if you're unmarried, this sermon on marriage today is very much for you because Paul makes it clear that he talks so much about marriage, not just to help married people, but also because it's a really great picture of God's relationship to us, how we are in union with Christ, he says. If you remember in Ephesians 1, a couple of months ago now, Ephesians 1, 3, Paul said that Every one of you has every spiritual blessing. Remember that? Okay, and he's talking about it in relationship to the church. And I got you to picture this single guy who's dirt poor. Any of you can relate, okay? The single guy who is dirt poor, and he falls in love with this woman and this girl, and they fall in love, and he, like, even right off the bat, he's like, I think this is the one. I think she's, even though we preach against the idea of the one, but you get it. She's the one, right? This is who I'm going to marry. And then a few weeks into dating, he kind of figures out, She's loaded. I didn't even, he didn't even realize it, but the year before they started dating, she started this business that took off. And so they fall in love. He proposes they get married. And overnight, he goes from dirt poor to rich. And you're like, that's not fair. Well, that's marriage. Okay, that's how that works. And so, you're, so marriage is a whole life union. Paul makes the case over and over. Uh, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. It's ours now. It's not my house. It's our house. It's not my paycheck. It's our paycheck. So what Paul is saying with that every spiritual blessing is that every spiritual blessing that Jesus has is now yours. Every spiritual blessing, it's a total union. It's our blessings now. God treats you like you deserve all the things that Jesus has, okay? And marriage gives us this really great living illustration that we're in total union with Christ. So if you're single with no intent to be married, I want you to look at it through that grid today. Every time, everything that we talk about with regard to marriage, see through the grid of this is how God sees all, my relationship with him. It's this total union, better communication, all these things that has something to do with, what, with, with my relationship with God. And if you're single with, with the intention to be married one day, you need to be taking the best notes in here. Amen. Okay. I, I, <laughs> 
BC, before, before marriage, Matt, okay, needed a lot more of these talks and a lot more of these truths. So if you're single and you want to be married one day, you need to be, be taking copious notes, learning, changing is the main thing. Okay, I'm going to stop pointing my finger. All right, look at Ephesians 5, 21, all the way to 33. We're going to read a lot right now. You ready? Great. Are you ready? All right, all right. So, okay, so submitting, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, submitting all of you to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, and it's himself, the church's savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and as he gave himself up for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife Loves himself, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And all the people, all the married people said, amen. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to, to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Before speaking about submission to, from child to parent, like we'll see in a few weeks, two weeks in Ephesians 6, before that, before even wife to husband, Paul tells literally everybody in the church to submit in verse 21. You see that? He's talking to literally everybody. So, so submission to each other, okay? It's this pervasive thing in God's kingdom. It's a regular occurrence, commonplace in God's kingdom that you submit to another in all these different kinds of relationships. So even think about it. Jesus is the son of God. Okay, the, the entire universe hinges on Jesus, and he submits to the Father, right? Jesus is equal to the Father, and then Jesus submits to the Father. It's crucial to understand that. And in biblical thinking, order does not imply inequality, okay? That God is an ordered trinity, and all three persons are co-equal. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit submit to the Father. We each submit to each other as a church body, and yes, wives submit to their husbands. So, and this is not... You know, this is not the only verse that talks about, there's, I think, about 40 references to submission in different relationships in the New Testament. And so this isn't like one group of verses that we heap a lot of meaning into. Okay, First Titus 2, there's all kind of verses that talk about this very thing. So we're not just kind of cherry picking one group of verses and going all in on that. So, and I think this kind of push against submission, which we all realize and I feel, okay, it can be uncomfortable to talk about. Right? But I believe that that push against female submission in marriage has two main roots. A third being just total misunderstanding. But the, the two main roots, I think, are our being male abuse of submission. Very common. And the other one being how there's this cultural unwillingness to submit to anybody's will before my will. We'll talk about it. Okay, so first, okay, so men have used and abused this call for submission for a couple thousand years now. In fact, I can make the case pretty easily that every human culture ever has uh, used male headship in a bad way. 
that they've twisted it in some sort of way that's oppressed women, marginalized women. So please understand that they do that in rejection of what Ephesians 5 says, not living out what Ephesians 5 says. Thank you. Submission doesn't mean, you know, getting home from work, dropping my briefcase and going, put my steak on the table, woman. That's not what we're talking about today. Um, that's not how it works in my household. Uh, but that, ha- that, is how it's ha- that is how it's happened in a lot of households. We know households like that. And that's wrong, okay? It doesn't mean, it does, submission doesn't mean some sort of subservience, right? There's a lot of bad thinking, maybe the root of the root, of what it means for a husband to be the head of the household, okay? I think... We've mistakenly equated headship to aggression. That we've let too much of the culture's idea of leadership into our heads, into our homes. Brazen, pushy, you know, that kind of leadership that we see all throughout the world. That's not how Jesus led, who is our picture of leadership in the home. That's not how Jesus did things, so how did he do it? So headship doesn't mean you make every decision. And submission doesn't mean that you have to be quiet and do whatever he says. Far from that very twisted picture, okay, we believe that the Bible teaches complementarianism. I'm going to have, it's a big word, so I have it on the screen for you. Complementarianism, which really means we have equal value and different roles. Okay, it doesn't, so notice that it isn't complementarianism with an I. Like, we just complement each other all the time, and that somehow works. No, it's with an E. We have complementary roles within our equal value. So, far from... The husband getting his preference on everything. Complementarianism actually means that I eat last, not first. It means that if somebody breaks into my house, I die first. Okay, that's actually what it, what it means. It means that I sacrifice everything to protect and provide for my wife and family. I am to be a servant leader, not a domineering leader. Okay, that's the deal. So the second kind of root there, broadly in our culture today, to submit to anyone is anathema, right? The one sin in our culture is to submit to somebody else. That's every, everything you hear is you do you, chart your own course. If it feels good, do it. Chris was talking to somebody this week, and their advice to him was, I mean, you just need to put yourself first. Actually, no. That's actually the path away from freedom and happiness, okay? Putting others before yourself is the way in God's kingdom. Submission to another is regular in God's kingdom. Okay, even though it's criticized in the world. So in marriage, the man is called to love and the woman is called to submit. John Stott says it this way. The woman's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It means to give oneself up for somebody. What does it mean to love? It means to give oneself up for somebody. So wives give a picture of the church to the world, verse 22 says, and husbands give a picture of Christ to the world, verse 23 says. So the Holy Spirit produces humility in us. That's what he does, by the way. The way of Jesus is one of humility. So as he does that, humility to put my wife's knees before my own, humility to serve our wives humbly and tenderly and are even called to die for them, okay? So if we really understand it, guys, headship ought to be scarier than submission, if you really think about it, if we wrap our, minds around, we'll wrap our minds around what we're being called to do, we would bristle more than they do. Okay, we're called to love our wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? You know he's perfect, right? He loves the church when she's mean. He loves the church when she's moody, even when she didn't deserve it, the scriptures say. So the husband should be the first to apologize, the first to serve, the first to forgive, okay? So the woman is called to submit to a husband who is willing to die for her. That's how the order gets right, okay? Men, God placing you as the head of your household is the greatest responsibility that you'll ever know. 
any, anything that ever happens to you at work, any leadership position you find yourself in the community or the world, that's all second place to God calling you to lead your home. That's number one priority. So the, the ultimate issue for us men is this. Are you submitted to the lordship of Christ? Is Christ, is, is him being your Lord growing ever more? And will you submit to Jesus in all the areas of your life? So, you know, where do you turn, guys, when your marriage isn't going like you hoped, like, like perfectly, right? So do you turn to alcohol, go into the deer stand for a few days? Do you turn to work? You just become a workaholic when marriage isn't going perfectly? We need to look to Christ, okay? Marriage is intended to point us to Jesus. Merit, for men, marriage is a call to die to, to yourself. And you know it's a lot harder than taking a bullet one time? Dying to yourself every day by submitting your will to the lordship of Christ every single day. And so it may involve sacrificing your schedule, even your good ambitions, but it means giving yourself away for the good of your bride, which is what Jesus did. So marriage is a call to serve her, okay? That's the call in our lives. Christ-like love takes initiative, right? All actively serve your wife. I'll never forget one particular example of this kind of love. So there's this kind of world-renowned theologian. Theologian is like a guy who writes about the Bible all the time, or a girl, Okay. So there was this guy, Dr. Wayne Grudem, okay, and he was at Trinity University for 20 years, which is this really prestigious, uh, you know, like theological institution, and he was there with like, uh, like D.A. Carson and uh, Douglas Moo. Come on, I mean, how crazy is, I know y'all don't care, but like, they were like the SEAL Team 6 of academia and, uh, and theology, okay, they were like it, okay, in Chicago there, and so, and also, so Dr. Grudem's wife had fibromyalgia, Maybe, so it's, it's like this disease that really get, makes all your muscles hurt and there's no known cure. And then humidity and cold makes it worse. They were living in Chicago and so she couldn't do much of anything. She couldn't walk upstairs, all these, all these things, right? And so some friends invited them to Mesa, Arizona. And when they went, kind of immediately, his wife began to kind of feel a little bit better. Right? She, she could walk around. She could do some stuff that she couldn't do in, in, you know, in Chicago. She could do in the warm, dry climate. So they made a few trips and every time, like immediately, she felt better. He even wrote that they were able to take their first bike ride together in 12 years. It was like this amazing transformation. And so Dr. Grudem began to think about the implications of Ephesians 5.28, that you, husbands, should love your wife like you do your own body. And he began to think, man, if I felt like that, I think I'd want to move. But I'm here. and I'm, I'm at. So he reached out to Phoenix Seminary to see if they would hire him on as a professor, which is a fine school. But it's like Patrick Mahomes calling Benbrook High School, like, hey, do y'all need a quarterback? It's like, yeah, dude, we, yeah, come on. Or if somebody from Harvard Law called Texas Tech Law, like, hey, do y'all need me to come be a professor? Like, nothing against Texas Tech, but yeah, we're getting a stud here, okay? Like, we're, yeah, absolutely, you can come. So, so, of course, Phoenix Seminary was like, yeah, come on. So he knew that was an option. So mind you, his wife was not asking to move. In fact, she, was, she did not want to move because he's living his dream. Her husband, who she cares so much for, is living his dream at Trinity University with Douglas freaking Moo. I'm so sorry. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry. But if you guys read, okay. So there they were, okay. Sorry for any kids, okay. Don't talk like your pastor, okay. So there they were. He wanted to move for her sake, and she wanted to move for his sake. You ever been at a crossroads like that in your marriage? Okay. So eventually she just goes, they talk round and round and round and round, and eventually she goes, okay, you make the decision. I'll do what you want. And in the end, he made, her husband made the sacrifice, and they moved to Phoenix. Look at verses 25 to 27 once again. Husbands, love your wives. 
just like Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. Practically what this means is, I should love my wife in a way that she's growing in the likeness of Christ. <laughs> it's, it's a tough deal. Uh, is my wife more like me because she's married? More, oh no, that's wrong. More like Christ because she's married to me or in spite of being married to me, right? So what does headship, guys, look like practically, right? Like what does it look like day to day? Well, it looks a lot like how Jesus served people, right? He, he, he served people. So, you know, if you remember the story of him washing the disciples' feet, they're nasty feet, and they're all like, no, Jesus, no, like, don't, I, I got it, I'll do it. And he's like, no, no, sit down, and he insisted, right? Verse 29, our love for them is to be a nourishing and cherishing type of love. If there's two, guys, if there's two words that you leave today with, nourishing and cherishing are it. So are you nourishing and cherishing your wife? And you're like, yeah, we do it plenty. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not what I'm talking, okay. It, so, fellas, the, that might be at the top of your list, okay? But did you know that typically that sex doesn't even register in her top five needs of marriage? You're like, yeah, actually. Okay, the, the clinical psychologist Willard Harley writes in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, that the top five needs of a wife are affection, okay? And that's holding hands, okay? That's being gentle with her. That's being sensitive with her. It's what Pastor Craig Groeschel uh, calls some NST, some non-sexual touching. Got to mix in some NST, boys, okay? Can't all just, okay? Number two, conversation. I'll talk about that in a second. Number three, honesty and openness, okay? And you know, that's not easy for most of us. I'll, I'll give you that, ladies, okay? I've had to, and I still have a lot to grow in this area, to be honest about my feelings, to be open about what I'm thinking. It's, I really have to work at that, so work at it. Okay, financial support, family commitment. You know, a husband who is leading well, leave those up for just a minute if you would. Uh, a husband who is leading well and loving his wife like Christ loves the church will prioritize these five areas. Okay, he'll create habits to make all five of these things happen for his wife. She'll feel safer, she'll feel more at peace because she's being nourished and cherished. So, Number two, for, for the conversation, you know, maybe a good way to pose this question is, how often am I physically present, okay? Uh, you know, not on your phone, checking texts and Twitter as she's talking, not remote in this hand, listening with your ears, but watching the game with your eyes. Guys, we have something that, you know, the generation before us didn't have. We have a pause button. Pause it and take time. Listen, it's going to be right there, okay? It's great. Are you really there? One of the greatest ways that I can show my wife my love for her is just simply being there, just simply listening, having a conversation. Maybe there's a couple of practices that you can put in place to prioritize time and attention just for her. Not kids running around, not anybody, just you and her. Maybe every evening, maybe you sit on the back porch and just chat. Just somewhere, you, you go in the house or whatever, and you just talk for 10 or 15 minutes. Every evening, you do that. What does it look like for you? You know, you, you, you leave your phone inside, you go out to the back porch, and you just you yell and threaten the kids to not come out there, and then, okay, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. So one thing that Pastor Jeffrey and Leisha do, I love that they do. So uh, they have five little kids. The house is, y'all ever had five kids? I, I can't even imagine, okay? And so Pastor Jeffrey drops their youngest off, Parker, and then he's got like a 30, 35, 40-minute drive, depending on the traffic, every day. So every day he calls Leisha at that time. 
five kids, all this stuff going on. So he, so he doesn't like listen to the sports radio 1310, the ticket. Okay. He doesn't call me and strategize how to grow the church. No, he prioritizes his number one priority with the, the, all the stuff going on. He calls her every day and they had time together on the phone there. So what does that look like in your marriage, right? What does it look like to prioritize daily time just talking, right? Fred Lowry in his book, Covenant Marriage, he puts it like this. Someone said, listening to a woman tell about her day is like ordering a pizza, one pepperoni at a time. Men plead, spare me the details, get to the point. But women love the details. Men want the bottom line. Women want all the lines. Unfortunately, most men know how to court and conquer, but not how to marry and maintain. We're more into facts and feelings, into rules and relationships, more into courting than cherishing, more into looks than listening, more into sex than sensitivity, and more into tasks than touch. I don't want to overgeneralize like all women are this way, all men are this way, but there's a lot of truth in what he's saying there. So you know what really blesses Courtney, my bride? Okay. When she tells me every detail about something, every detail about it, and I hang on every word, and I look her in the eye, and she's doing it, and then she finishes, and I'm like, what else? <laughs> what, what did he say when she said that? She did? No. And I, it really blesses her, right? And again, not to patronize her, honestly. I want a PhD in Courtney. I think I just finished my high school diploma, Okay. And maybe over the next decade, I'll get my undergrad. But I want to study this woman. I want to get to know this woman, okay? My wife is a control enthusiast. (laughs) And so uh, her favorite thing to do on, and her favorite thing to do on vacation is talk about what we're going to do on vacation. (laughs) And our first couple years in marriage, I didn't figure it out yet. So I would just be like, oh my gosh, I'll do whatever you want to do. Just like, all I do is make decisions. Let's just, let's just do it. Now, she'll like tell me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, lunch there. What do you think you'll order? And she's already looked at the menu, believe me. Okay. <laughs> so and I just bring it out of her. You see, see the, the total difference of like, oh, my gosh, versus, yes, let's talk about lunch on Thursday. Let's go for it. Okay. When you stop being a student of your spouse, you know, uh, just due to time, we just don't notice things like we used to. I don't know, if, if you drive the same way to work or to school every day, Eventually, you don't see the trees. Sometimes you'll even arrive in the parking lot like, I don't remember driving here, okay? Like you just, after a time, you don't notice what you used to notice. The same thing happens in marriage, okay? So men, notice her. Engage her. Set up practices and times where you talk, where you serve her, where you love her like Christ loves the church. God gives us, men, the authority in the home, and we use that responsibility to free the home into love, not to oppress the home into doing our bidding. Two different ways to go there, okay? So, you know, I really believe that a woman does not need to fear being submissive to a man whose idea of authority is being a servant and whose idea of responsibility is to die for her, okay? And ladies, okay, so notice in verse 22, it says for you to give authority, not for the husband to take it. There's not a subtle difference in the home, just like it doesn't say for you to demand love. No, it says for the husband to give love willingly and sacrificially, okay? So giving this authority to your husband is not saying, all right, you decide everything, what we're going to eat, how we're going to spend our money, what we're going to do, okay? No, that's, that's not it at all. Kathy Keller says, I discovered that my submission in marriage was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced from me. Because God has made 
your husband responsible in the home. He needs the authority to carry that out. I don't know if you ever had a job where you had a lot of responsibility but no authority. It doesn't work, okay? So if you have a lot of conflict in your home, it may be that this dynamic is off. We're going to talk a lot about next week, love and respect. But it may be this one dynamic that you need to just give him the authority. Maybe it feels like he's trying to take authority and you're kind of maybe trying to take, okay? So give authority. So tell him. Actually say it out loud and affirm his role in your home. Show him. When you're in conflict, for instance, you have, a, you have a disagreement that rises into a conflict, okay, which happens all the time in marriage. It ain't just you, okay. Um, <laughs> work through that issue with him as if he's the head of the household. Okay, here's what, so 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not insist on its own way. Okay, so show him respect in those moments. Submission really just means recognizing his biblically given authority. Courtney runs our finances. She runs our family calendar, all these things. She's, got, she's better at a lot of decision-making than I am. That has nothing to do with my authority in the home, okay? So give him that. So praise his good decisions. Be gracious in the decisions that don't work out quite as good, and you even knew that it would. Just pr- be gracious in decisions that don't work out as well. Disagree with him in private, Disagree with him. I'm not saying never disagree. That's not what's, okay, disagree with him, but do it in private, not in front of the kids, not in front of his mom. I mean, come on, you know, like, disagree with him in private, never in front of others. And when you disagree, do it in such a way that it shows him respect, okay? We'll see in verse 33. So all that we do is rooted in who our great God is, okay? What we practice, what we become is rooted in who God is. So the Holy Trinity of God is permanent, plural, equal, complementary, ordered. It's a loving union. So since we're created in his image, we thrive in marriage relationships that are like his Trinitarian union. So since God is permanent, he's designed our marriages to be permanent and lasting. Since God is plural, he's designed us for marriages that have intimate companionship, best friends. Since God is three equal persons, God designed our marriages where the husbands and wives are equally dignified. Since God's trinity is ordered, the Son of God and the Spirit of God gladly submit to the will of the Father, So, and so he designed all human relationships. This is God's design. Mm-hmm.